Uh, we're in a new sermon series called Growing Faith. So let me ask you a question this morning. You don't have to raise your hands, but just ask the question inside. How many could say today, I have a growing faith? Well, that may not be as many as we would hope, or it may be that you're being challenged in your faith, or your desire is that you have a growing faith. What does that look like? Well, Elijah is teaching us the way. If you have your Bibles, you can go to 1 Kings chapter 17, and we'll pick up there. What we do know about a growing faith, a growing faith is a sharing faith. We've been encouraging you for the last couple of years to pray for at least one, who your one is that you're praying for. Well, we're coming up on Easter where people are more open to spiritual things than ever before. And I hope you're praying about somebody you can already invite. This year, we're going to do Easter outdoors again. We'll be out by the annex. We encourage you to start cleaning up your lawn chair, oil it down, get it ready, and make sure you bring somebody with you at Easter. And then the week after, I hope that you're already praying. Uh, we always offer an event right after Easter to allow us to continue to build relationships with maybe people who show up at Easter or somebody you are ministering to during the Easter season. And so we have our comedy dinner theater that will happen the very weekend after. Tickets are limited. It is a family-friendly event. This isn't adults only. You can bring your children if you'd like. $15 a ticket, and that covers the Ted's Escondido, who will be catering the event, a great night of comedy, and then presenting the gospel, hopefully, to somebody who needs to know Jesus. So be praying about that as well. Well, as we talk about a growing faith, I want to maybe uh, disassemble what we think of when we think of a growing faith. I want to deconstruct that, if I can use that term, although that's being thrown around a lot right now, deconstruction of faith. Uh, sometimes we have the wrong understanding about faith. Uh, I know when I was saved, I knew I needed to be saved by faith in Christ through His grace. Through grace are we saved. And I gave my faith over to Christ, and Christ saved me. But then I made the mistake that many people do of thinking, well, I've got to start being more faithful now. I've got to be faithful to go to church. I've got to be faithful to quit going to parties. I've got to be faithful to start doing this and not doing that. And I thought that I had to grow my faith. Well, Scripture is very clear. While we submit in the process, it isn't us who produces faith. God does. God gives us faith to be saved, and God grows our faith day after day after day. Whenever you give you a good definition of what it means to be more faithful. Uh, faith is not being more faithful, that's not me doing things, but actually having more faith in his faithfulness. That's what it means to have a growing faith. Get out of that rut of thinking, well, I've got to start doing this. That's legalism and that's religion. But a vibrant living faith is simply a life that says, I am a child of God, God is my Father, and my faith is in His faithfulness. Grow in that, and as you grow in that faithfulness of who He is and what He does, then you find you have a growing faith. So we're learning this from a guy named Elijah. You may have learned that story, you may know stories about Elijah, but maybe you didn't ever study how did Elijah become the prophet of God, and the man of God. So we're looking at that story and some of the lessons we've already learned. Number one, we learned that God uses ordinary people just like you and me to do the extraordinary. Elijah didn't come from a lineage of spiritual people that we know of. We don't know what his background is. He didn't come from Jerusalem, the capital city. He didn't come out of some kind of pedigree. He just is Elijah from Tishba, a little old town 
that most Bible scholars still argue exactly where it is. They just know it was in a regionist part of Israel. This guy that was just an ordinary guy who we see as extraordinary started off just as a guy from Tishba. And by the end of the story, he becomes a man of God doing extraordinary things as he grows in faith. We saw that God takes that first phase of developing us and by breaking us down at a place called Kirith. After he was called to a life of ministry, ministering in the palace, ministering to the king, God then takes them out of the palace and takes them to Kirith. We studied that two weeks ago. So what happens next? I hope that as you've been studying this, you'll watch a pattern happen, how God grows us into men and women of God. He first calls us. He calls us to himself. That's salvation. And in that salvation experience, God also calls us to a life of ministry. He didn't call you just to go to church. He called you to be his church and to be ministers in this world just like Elijah. And so as you look on the screen, I'll show you kind of the journey we've been looking at. We find Elijah's calling in 1 Kings uh, 17, verse 1. We find God calling him to a mountaintop experience, calling him out of nowhere to have a very significant ministry to the king of his people. Can you imagine walking out off the farm one day, walking straight into a palace and have an audience with the king? That would be overwhelming. He's on this mountaintop experience. And as we know, between every two mountains, there is a what? There's a what? Valley. That valley, we always pray, God, give me mountaintops. Very few people pray for valleys. But can I tell you, geographically and spiritually, both are the same. Geographically, valleys are more fertile than the mountaintop. It's in the valleys where things grow. Not on the mountaintops, it's sparse and it's rocky. But it's in the valley where you find the vegetation, you find the fruit, you find the growth. And yet we want that beautiful, scenic view. We want the mountaintop experience. And we have a tendency to reject the valley. Well, we find that he had a great experience in the palace. But we also found that he had a great experience even in the valley. That place of brokenness, that place called Kirith. So what's coming next? Let's take a look at it. Look at verse 8, 1 Kings 17 and verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there, for behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. There's a lot of things to learn in those two verses, a lot of things you need to dig out. Number one, you need to see that there is a change that's coming for Elijah. There's a second phase. Now, most Bible scholars don't know the exact timeline of how long he stayed in Kirith, but it's believed that he was probably there at least two to three years. It was long enough for the brook that ran, that river that ran through Kirith, to finally dry up because of the drought that Elijah had prophesied. That judgment that had come on the land because King Ahab had brought in false worship, Baal worship, who was the god of rain, the god of fertility, and God was proving that they were worshiping a false god. A drought has come, the brook has dried up. They believe at least two years he was in Kirith. And now, look at the first thing here. It says, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. I think that's powerful that you see that, because what we understand about Elijah's walk that may not be true of ours is Elijah was still listening to the voice of the Lord. You, uh, you leave the palace, 
and you follow God's will and it takes you to a place of brokenness, a place of being cut off from everyone else, and you're in isolation for up to two years, would you still be listening for the voice of God or would you be bitter? Would you be disappointed? Would you be saying, God, this isn't fair? Would you have even been listening? What I love about Elijah is Elijah continued to walk with God, whether he was in the palace, whether he was in Tishba, or whether he was at Kirith, a place of brokenness. It didn't change his walk with God. And yet we so easily get disappointed. We so easily find our broken times, our challenges, and our struggles, and things of the valley, and we say, well, God, if you love me, I wouldn't be here. That's not true. Part of life is mountains, and a part of life is valleys. And Paul said, it doesn't matter what my circumstances are, wherever I am or whatever's going on, I'm going to continue to worship the Lord. And the same was true for Elijah. I don't know what's going on for you today, but are you able to still hear the word of the Lord? Are you still listening for his voice? Or are you allowing something to block the ears and the heart of your walk with God? Well, go on in verse uh, 9. He says, arise, and I'm going to take you to a new location. Now, don't you know Elijah has been praying, God, I'm ready. God, it's been two years. I've learned my lessons, man. I'm broken down. I'm humbled. I'm ready to go back. Where, where do you think he wants to go? The palace. I paid my dues. I'm, I've been through seminary. I, I've been to Bible college. I've learned my lessons. Now I'm ready to go back and face the king as a spiritual man. And God says, I'm not sending you to the palace. I'm sending you to Zarephath. Now, Zarephath doesn't mean anything to you at all, probably. But when Elijah heard the word of the Lord, and that's where he was going next, it meant a ton to him. The word Zarephath, as I've told you, all words in the Hebrew, the names of their cities and the names of their children, the names of people and the names of things, they would assign a word in their language that conveyed meaning. Jabez, who we just studied, as we remember, we got his name Jabez because he was a pain, a big pain. All children are a pain to mama at birth. He was a big pain. And so that's what Jabez means, much pain. Kirith. Kirith was known and named Kirith because it was a place of isolation. It was a place of broken things, broken rocks, and jagged and rugged territory. And that's what Kirith was. You know what Zarephath means? Zarephath in the Hebrew means melting or smelting point. Melting or smelting. That's a picture of refining, a refining process. This town called Zarephath, it was right there on the coastal line was a very significant city. It was a very wealthy city. They tell us that as they've studied biblical history, uh, purple dye came out of this region, but more importantly, it's where they did all their refining of iron or metals, gold and silver. It was those refineries that were in this town that gave it its name. And so Elijah's hearing the word of the Lord and he says, all right, I get to get out of this place of brokenness. Finally, after two years, I get an upgrade. Where am I going next, God? I'm going to a place of refining. You see, that's what God does next. He begins to break us down, not because he's cruel, not because he's punishing us, but because he's building us up. And he's going to take him to a place of purging, not punishment. It's not because God is being a mean, cruel God. It's because God has a great work in mind for Elijah. And he has the same in mind for you and me. We have to go through Kirith. And we need to experience Zarephath if we're ever going to be what we need to be 
to bring glory and honor to God. So what does this Zarephath stage look like? What is the purpose? Well, I believe that if we are going to get hotter for God, if we're going to get closer to who he is and be transformed into his image, the hotter the days will be, the hotter the trials will be, the hotter life will become because that's how God refines us. You see, the purpose of the refiner's fire, literally, let's just talk about someone who is refining some raw ore. Uh, let's say it's a piece of silver or a piece of gold, and they have this. It's just been dug up out of the ground. What they will do is they will place that in to a refining fire. It's a certain temperature. It's at a certain level that as you place this element that you've dug up out of the ground, it will all of a sudden, as it goes through that fire, the the things that are not gold, the things that are not pure silver, they will all start to burn and become what's called dross. And the refiner will take his tool and he will skim all of that which is not pure and he will remove it to get it to its strongest point. Three reasons that they put it through the fire. Number one, to purify it. Number two, to strengthen it. If they don't remove that dross and all that uh, oxidation and all those other issues and elements that are built in there that when they get it that will actually make it a weaker material or weaker metal the third reason is it provides support where it can become stronger it can become pure and it can become more useful and Isaiah Isaiah prophesied don't fear God said for I'm with you don't look anxiously about you for I'm your God and I will strengthen you, I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God said, my hand will be with you, I will bless you. But for you to be blessed, to be changed, you're going to have to go through a fire to become strengthened. When we go through those hot issues of life, those trials, we have a tendency to pray ourselves out of the fire rather than submitting to God's refinement in our life. All of us in this room, the one even preaching the message today have things in our lives that need to be burned out, that need to be removed, the dross of our flesh. And that only happens when we submit to Zarephath. Look at verse 9. So what did Elijah do? Elijah didn't bargain with God and say, come on, God. Two years I've been in this place of isolation. Can I go back to the palace? If I can't go to the palace, can I at least go to Tishba for a while and visit mom? Get some home cooking? Get, get some time with my friends. Can't I just have a little bit of break? i got to go to Zarephath. Is that how he looked at it? No, look at verse 9. God said, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. There are three words that ought to pop out to you when you see verse 9. Number one, he said, Arise. In other words, you can't keep staying here. You can't just become comfortable where you are. I need you to get up, and we're moving on to the next phase. I believe there may be somebody today either worshiping online or in this very place that God is challenging you to get up from where you are so that you can get to the next place where God wants to take you. But if you want to keep sitting where you are, if you want to keep soaking in pity, if you want to keep resting in bitterness, if you want to keep coasting in your casual, compromising Christianity, you won't be able to move on and become the man or woman of God he wants you to be. He says, arise, second word that ought to jump out, uh, get the next word, and he says, then go, you got to move, you got to cooperate, yes, God is the one that's growing Elijah's faith, God's growing your faith, 
but he can't grow it if you're stagnant. If you're staying where you are, you'll never grow. And if you don't move, if you don't go to the next phase, you'll stay just as you are. So he says, arise and go. But then look at the third point he made to him. And Elijah, I want you to understand, you're going to stay there a while. No, no, Lord, I just gave you two years. I just did boot camp. I, I've been two years. I, I, I've been through it. It's time for me to resign my commission. No, I'm going to take you to the next phase, Elijah, and you're going to stay there for a while. You're going you're to be in the fire for another period of time. Who's signing up for that? Anybody pumped? Two years of brokenness? Another period of time that has been undesignated that I just got to stay in this fiery circumstance, this place of refinement? I'm not sure that many of us would have signed up for it. But let me show you something practical about what Elijah is being called to do. Look at the map behind me here. We've seen this before. Down at the bottom right, Tishba is where he was born, up in that regionous part on the other side of the river. On the other side to the left is Samaria. That's where King Ahab was ruling from. God's calling on Elijah, calls him to the palace at Samaria. He goes to the king and confronts the king with his wickedness and pronounces judgment on Israel because of their idolatry. Mountaintop experience. And then God says, now I want to take you away from here and I'm taking you to Kirith, which is right just above Tishba. He's been there for two years. And the brook by which God was providing and the ravens that have been feeding him, the brook runs dry and God says it's time to arise and go. Where are we going? We're going to Zarephath. Now, the scale of that map may not mean a lot to you, but basically that dotted journey there that you see is a very dangerous journey. It's a hundred miles long. He's going to have to take that on foot during a drought, through rugged terrain, and also through the land of famine. It's not going to be easy. A 100-day journey, if you did 30 miles a day, you can do the math, you'd be booking it and getting there. It'd be a three- or four-day journey with no rations, no raven providing for you. You're in the middle of a famine, and God has called you. Why? Look how much closer the palace is. But you're going to take me all the way up there? To Zarephath? It didn't make sense. The beautiful thing about Elijah is he modeled at Kirith is he got up and he went according to the word of the Lord. Another thing is very interesting here. At Kirith he was safe. It was a place of isolation. He has pronounced judgment on Israel and now two years later the economy has fallen apart. The crops are not growing. There's no food for the people. Now we get a little bit of this. There's no famine in America and yet because of inflation and because of issues in our economy. Have you been to the gas pump lately? Can I get some moans and groans from mom and dad, grandma and grandpa? Yeah, we're bitter, aren't we? You been to the grocery store lately? Have you been paying the bills? I got a staggering gas bill this last month. And I call in, I'm like, what is going on? I'm on monthly uh, billing and it, 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 it hadn't increased a penny in the whole 11 years I've lived here in Oklahoma City. It's been the same bill every month. Went up 100% in that month. I called in and said, uh, there's a billing problem. No, sir, there's not. What you're not aware of is the same gas that you're buying this year. But, but, but ma'am, my usage is down. I understand your usage is down, sir, but what you don't understand is a year ago, that gas that you bought was $3 and something a unit. Now it's $8 and something a unit. 
And all of you are feeling that same pain. And have you noticed how much more spiritual we are when things like that are happening? Paying $4 a gallon at the pump, paying more than double for our gas bills, all these issues, and where it happens to the people in the land. We get grumpy. And somebody better fix it or they're going to pay. Well, the same was going on in Israel, except this went on for two years. Their economy has crashed. There's no, there's no groceries on the shelves because of the drought. And everybody's blaming Elijah. We wouldn't be in this mess if he hadn't prophesied over us, if he hadn't prophesied a drought. And the king has put up wanted posters on every corner, and if anybody finds this dude Elijah, he's a dead man. So Elijah, who was safe at Kirith, now has to come out in the open for a hundred-mile journey. And everywhere he goes, he's a wanted man. Most of us would have never taken that journey. Most of us would have stayed at Kirith or gone back to Tishba, or we would have quit on God a long time ago, but not Elijah. Are you going to quit? Are you going to keep out of the fire, or are you going to let God do a special work as God refines his chosen people. Well, let's see how let's see how Elijah responds. Go to verse 10. 1 Kings 17 and verse 10. The Bible says, so he arose and he went. He went to Zarephath. He didn't arise and start to shake his fist at God. He didn't arise and protest. He didn't arise and negotiate or barter with God. He arose and he went where God told him to go. Are you willing to do that today? Are you willing to rise up and say, okay, God, wherever you want to take me and whatever you want to do in my life, God, I'll go there. I'll let you take me there. Elijah did. And when he came to the gates of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called her and he said, please get me a little water in a jar that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called her and said, please bring me a piece of bread in your hand as well. Now think about it. Now, it's paying off. He's honored God. He's made that 100-mile trek. And there, just like God promised, is a widow ready to take care of him. Now, remember where he's been for two years. Who's been fixing his groceries for the two years at Kirith? Do you remember? A bunch of scavenger birds, ravens. Ravens have been bringing him roadkill and rodents and, and all those things. That was provision, but it's coming from ravens. Now he's getting an upgrade to a widow's cooking. Can't you say thank you, Jesus? That's an upgrade, right? Well, you would think. And as he walks into this next step, he is seeing God's provision, but I want you to see the rest of the story. Look at verse 12. Remember, he's refining and growing his faith. He's stretching him, and he's challenging him. And we get to verse 12, and the widow responded, As the Lord your God lives, I have no bread. I have no oil. I just have a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil, and behold, I'm gathering a few sticks that I may go in, prepare for me and my son that we may eat it and die. Woo-hoo! Awesome! Two years of brokenness. And then God gives me a broken down widow? Are you kidding me? What is going on? Well, obviously, this is the wrong widow. Because this isn't what God's provision looks like. It ought to be a widow that's got a spread going on. There ought to be a fatted lamb that's slain there and all laid out. It ought to have all the vittles going. So obviously this isn't the right widow. Maybe that's how you process it. Maybe that's how I would process it. But that's not how he saw it. You see, 
Elijah understood it wasn't going to be easy just leaving Kirith. Two years of brokenness, and God's now taken him to a place of refining. He knows he's going to have to go through a fire. And yet he remembered what God said. God said, there will be a widow there for you that will provide. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you don't have to turn there, but the Apostle Paul reminded us there's not a test or a trial that we'll ever go through that is bigger than what God is faithful to bring us through. That God won't allow you to be tested. He won't allow you to go through that refining fire and be burned to a crisp. But he will provide everything you need to endure it all the way to the point of escape. Elijah had to experience Zarephath, a testing of his faith. It has been broken down at Kirith. Now it's being tested through the fire. And the question is, am I going to walk by faith or am I going to walk by the facts? It's hard. It's really hard. My son, and Cammie and my, not just my son, Cammie and I's son, was married yesterday. It was a beautiful day. It was really awesome. It was a mountaintop experience. One of those glorious days. And, uh, and today, they're flying out for their honeymoon. And, and so I pick them up at 5 o'clock this morning because it's an early flight out. And, and nobody's happy to be, and, and they didn't get to go to sleep at all. They had all day long, an early morning wedding up all day getting ready for the trip and all the celebrating with families and and then they were getting ready packing trying to get a little bit of sleep for the early morning ride to the airport pick them up at five and i notice my son's not real happy son this is your honeymoon son this is a good day dude you're on the mountaintop dad we've not been to bed oh i'm sorry son what happened you see my son in this marriage for better or for worse married into two cats some might say that's better. Many of us would have a different opinion, all right? Including my son last night, because this cat named Frank, that should be a sign right there. Frank does not live well. Doesn't live cooperatively with the human species. He decides he has his own agenda, and right before they're leaving for a long vacation, a long honeymoon, Frank decides he's out the door, and they can't find him all night long. They got a little Apple ID tag. They're beeping it. They're beeping it. They know he's close by, but they can't get to him. They, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. Nobody slept. I'm picking them up at 5. That's nothing. They've been up all night long chasing a cat. Big neighbor. They live out in a big rural area. And, uh, the cat has found his way underneath a deck that's just low enough for a cat to get under in my skinny little son. I could not help. My son has spent all the morning hours crawling through this deck, listening to a beeping tag and not able to get his hands on this scrawny, rebellious cat. All night long, they never caught the cat. Zarephath, the testing of your faith. Not everything goes as planned. You might be heading for a honeymoon, but can I tell you, there's a Zarephath in there as well. So they're grumpy. They haven't slept. They haven't eaten. They're heading to the airport. We get out to the airport. And I don't know if you've been noticing what's going on with air travel, but it isn't pretty. Hundreds of passengers at 6 o'clock this morning didn't have flights. It was chaos. There were lines everywhere. And they missed their flight. As I'm coming in to preach this morning, my son is calling me and saying, we don't have a plane. They're stuck at Will Rogers Airport having a honeymoon. Isn't that a great place for a honeymoon? And my son is having to learn what 
Tammy and I have modeled for him. How to handle adversity well, especially dads. I'm so good at these moments on family trips and things aren't going our way and people are disappointing us and I'm not getting to my honey. You don't know how godly I can be in those moments. <laughs> my son and his new bride are in a Zarephath moment. And how do we, now that's mild compared to maybe your Zarephath. I get it. For them, it's, it's an overwhelming day. It's a disappointing moment. But can we still let God do a fresh work no matter the disappointment? Or does everything have to be a palace experience? I understand. Your Zarephath, the fire you're going through right now is probably way more overwhelming and a lot hotter than what they're going through. And we all have that fire that we need to walk through. Why? Not because God's punishing, but God is purging. There are things in our lives that need to be removed. There are things in our lives that only can be burned out by the holy fire of a holy God. And it's for your betterment that God allows it. So let's take a look at it. Look at verse 12 again. There's two ways you can respond to your Zarephath. One, you can respond by facts, or two, you can respond by faith. Verse 12, here are the facts. As the Lord your God lives, I have no bread. Oh, God, thank you. I mean, at least you gave me ravens every day in Kirith. Now you've given me an unbelieving widow that has nothing in her cupboard. Are you kidding me? It's not how Elijah saw it. Elijah didn't walk by the facts that there was no bread, there was no oil, and there was this bitter woman. Instead, look at verse 13. So Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a little bread cake from it first and bring it out to me. And afterwards, you can make one for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day of the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. What I love about Elijah here is he didn't walk by the facts. The facts were she had no groceries. Facts were there was a famine in the land. But Elijah didn't look at the cupboard. He looked to the God of faith. He said, my God said this widow will provide. She's got oil. She's got flour. That's all we need. I walk by faith, not by facts. Isn't that awesome? And now if you were the widow, how would you respond to that? Hey, dude. You got sunburned, man. You, you, you're messed up. Your brain is fried. That didn't even make sense. I can't make anything for you. I can barely make something for me and my son. But there was something about Elijah's growing faith that became contagious. Look at it, verse 15. We've got to quickly finish up. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah. She didn't do according to the word of the Lord because she didn't have a Lord yet. Remember she said earlier, the Lord, your God? She was just a widow that needed the God of Elijah. And so she did according to the word of Elijah. That's all she knew to do. She honored the voice of the prophet, and she and her household ate for many days. Is that crazy? Didn't even make sense. The math didn't add up. There wasn't enough flour to take care of two of them, much less now three mouths, and they ate for days. She was convinced on that very day before Elijah got there that that was their last meal, that was their last portion. They were going to die. They were starving to death, literally and spiritually. But God brings Elijah into her life, and here's what I see. His faith, his growing faith became contagious, and it made a difference in other people's lives. Does our faith 
make a difference in our own life, much less anybody else's? Or do we just have a faith we're going to heaven one day? Is it a faith that's making a difference every day? That's a growing faith. It made a difference in her life, in her son's life, and for all their eternity. After I preached this message in the first service, one of our church members came up and she said, I grew up in Borger, Texas. If anybody knows much about Borger, Borger, Texas is a place of smelting. She said, I grew grew up right next to a smelting factory. And she started talking to me about the process and said, it was the most disgusting thing on the planet. And you knew when they were smelting, because when they were smelting, there was this god-awful stench that came over our whole city. That stuff that was being burned out, that dross that was being pulled off, it was a disgusting, stinking smell. And she said, we knew exactly every time when the smelting process was coming in, because each day the, the stench got less and less and less. And finally, it was gone. Every one of us in this space have wretchedness. And the Bible says our righteousness is like filthy rags. We got stuff in us that only the holy fire of a holy God can purge out. But if you won't rise up, if you won't go to that place and say, God, refine me, God, God shape me into your image, God, change me, bless me. That stench will grow stronger, more formidable, until the enemy kills, steals, and destroys. Kirith is tough. Zarephath is tougher. But God produces his glory in the valley. Let's pray about it. With every head bowed and with every eye closed. You say, well, man, I don't know why I want to sign up for that. Oh, do you really want to stay in the stench of your sin? Do you really want to stay where you are? Or do you want to let God do something extraordinary in your life? You've got to rise up. You've got to move from where you are to where God's taking you. And you've got to stay there and let God do what only God can do. So this morning, there's a couple ways you can respond. One might be, you know, I've never been to Kirith and I've never been to Zarephath because I've never been to Calvary. I've never been to the cross. I've never trusted Christ to be my Savior. I've never entered into the game. I'm not a spiritual man. I'm not a spiritual woman. I don't have a Savior. Today, the Bible says, is the day of your salvation. God wants to save you right where you are. Whether that's online or in this very space. God may be calling somebody, a teenager, a mom, a dad, a grandma, or grandpa, and God is speaking to you. And God is calling you to himself, calling you to be saved. You ought to be the first to come. Say, man, I need to be saved. Our pastors will meet with you. They'll pray with you. They'll show you from Scripture how you can nail that down today. And for those who have a Savior, have you been to Kirith? Maybe God's breaking you right now, and you just need to submit to that and say, God, humble me. God, bless me by breaking me down, giving me a Kirith. Maybe that's where you are. Or maybe God has brought you to Zarephath. A time, a period in your life where there's some things that God needs to purge out. It only happens as you go through his refining fire. God, do it. Maybe you need to submit to that. Maybe there's a step of obedience you need to take. Maybe you need to do like four or five families did in the first service. And you need a church home. And and several came flooding down the aisle to join. Maybe you need to make that same step as well.
Maybe you just need somebody to pray with you. Whatever the need, I'm going to pray. It'll be short. When we stand, if you have a decision to make for Christ, do what Elijah did. Get up, come on down, and just honor God in this moment. Lord, Lord, may that be true in this service as well. May we not just hear your voice, hear the word, but may we honor that word by getting up and responding to you. Lord, do it now in Jesus' name.